This is Shack Talk, presented by Eskimo Ice Fishing Gear and hosted by Kyle Agri and Anthony Kleinwachter. Turn up your speakers, grab your gear, and hit the ice with us as we talk ice fishing. Come on in, grab a bucket. We are talking ice fishing. Kyle Agri and Anthony Kleinwachter, we are your hosts, and this is Shack Talk Ice Fishing Podcast. We're going to jump right into our first segment with something we haven't really had a lot of opportunity to do, and that is just to talk a little bit here with uh, myself and Anthony and maybe just give you all who are listening an update on our season and uh, just kind of tell you where we're at with things. Anthony? Yeah, we've had a season full of guests, a lot of great conversations have been had, and, you know, we haven't really had a chance to just talk about how our season's been going. I know for me, it, we all thought it was going to start early and kind of took a little while to get going, but once we did, I mean, it was kind of hit the ground running and go. How about you? Well, I tell you what, it was one of those things where, I mean, if you think back to mid-October, right? I know we, we've, you know, that's a while back, but mid-October, we had snow, we had cold, and honestly, I thought, you know, game on, here we go. Then it got warm. <laughs> and it got real warm. And it stayed warm for a long time. And it felt like I was so ramped up for this season to just take off early. And, and it didn't happen. Ice formed late, right? And and it formed late. One of the good things, I guess, is I look at the, this season and how it's gone here in, in kind of our part of the world is that it has presented a lot of opportunity to fish outside right like just the four-wheeler the snowmobile uh drill a hole drop your line run and gun type of fishing which is which is really fun and really tough to do when it's 10 below zero yeah absolutely i mean of all the trips that i went on this year that i was going out by myself or with a buddy or something i probably fished in the house like once or twice i mean when it got super cold here in february i just didn't fish i mean I've got that luxury where if it's that cold, I don't have to go out. Um, but before that, like you said, it was super warm. We were able to, to whole hop and take advantage. And even the days when it was, you know, I went out a couple of days and it was probably single digits or uh, low teens, but it wasn't windy and days like that. I mean, for me, when you got the right gear, you got the right clothing, it's much easier for me to just run, run around outside and take advantage of that than being kind of hunkered down in a shack. But, you know, I kind of, feel a little guilty that I haven't spent a lot of time in the shack this year. That's okay. I mean, really, you you bring up a good point, and that is when you've got the right gear, that threshold as to when you're really kind of confined to be inside that shelter with the heater on, it it changes, right? And and if you have the right gear, it's been so fun to be a part of of the Eskimo team, right, as they've developed their line of apparel and and some of the pieces that they've put into that puzzle and how that's helped. It really does. It makes a difference. You can be outside, as you said, in the single digits. You can be outside and still function, still fish, still enjoy yourself, not be uncomfortable, and not feel like, oh, man, I'm getting cold. I need to go inside and warm up. Oh, absolutely. For me, you know, that threshold is probably that, you know, 10-degree mark. If it's below 10 you know, then you maybe start thinking about a house unless it's not windy. I mean, if you get a day that's absolutely calm, then you can probably handle it outside. Um, but if it starts getting to 10 single digits or below zero and that wind kicks up at all, I mean, it's, it's tough to be out there hole hopping. I did it. I did it one day for about two, three hours. I was hole hopping. It was 
think 15 below outside, but the sun was out, you know, so it's warming you up a little bit. You got dark clothes on, um, but it was, it was cold. And I kind of looked back at it and I was like, wow, maybe I should have set up a house. Well, you know, and, and you had the ability to do so, right? If you needed to, you had it, but I mean, as long as you're not drastically uncomfortable, it's not that big a deal. And for the listeners that may not know it, Anthony, both you and I are, are located. We live in Fargo, North Dakota where the wind never blows. Yeah. That's why I tend to tend to head east versus west. You get into the Minnesota side, you get a few trees to slow it down a little bit. Uh, you know, I fished plenty of times out in uh, eastern North Dakota this year, but it seemed like every time we were out there too, it's, you know, you get even a little bit of a breeze. I mean, I think we had a couple of days where it was actually warmer, but windier and it felt colder. Yeah, oh, totally, totally. That wind makes all the difference in terms of, how comfortable you are and what you can do outside, um, you know, out on the ice. Speaking of some of the the locations and places you fished, you've had a busy winter. You have, uh, you've been out on your own, but you've also been out with Mike Olson and the Fish Addictions crew, a team you're part of. Share just a little bit about some of those adventures so far this season and what you guys, maybe give us some highlights of what's what's been happening. Yeah, it's been a, an interesting year for me. I typically spend, I would say, 50% of my time fishing panfish, 50% of my time fishing walleyes. But honestly, I've had uh, one trip to Devil's Lake where we fished for a day and a half and I got in some walleye action. Uh, one trip to Lake of the Woods where I fished for, again, about a day and a half and got in after some walleyes. Other than that, all of my fishing has been panfish, bluegills, crappies, and perch. And so it's been a different year for me. I spent a lot of time fishing on new bodies of water um, with the Fish Addictions crew and without the Fish Addictions crew. I think I'm up to like 13 or 14 different bodies of water that I'd never ice fished before. Um, so it was pretty fun. Um, there was even a couple of lakes that I'd maybe gotten out to before, but tried some new spots too. So that was one of my goals. Um, with the Fish Addictions crew, we've been just having fun and chasing bites. We Again, even on the fish addiction side of it, we had a bunch of perch episodes, some panfish episodes, and you know we still got a couple more, I think, loaded in the hopper that we're going to try and get out to people that are looking for that more of that predator action. So hopefully stay tuned for some of that. It's been fun watching you guys, and uh, you've been, you've been kind of using that big hard house, that wheelhouse as base camp, and that you know that's really a great way to approach some of these locations, right? You, you've you drive up and you're, you're not unloading into a hotel. You're not unloading into a cabin. You're able to basically self-contain and, and set up camp on or near the body of water you're fishing. Absolutely. And, you know, you get to keep a rattle reel down overnight. I mean, it, it probably didn't help with the amount of sleep that we got on a couple of those trips when you're getting woken up at 2.30 in the morning to a rattle reel or something. But um, yeah, it's just really nice to be able to step out the door and either fish that body of water or, you know, be able to have your stuff right there, throw it in the truck and take off and head to another body of water. So it's been really fun, um, you know, really enjoying being able to spend our time in the fish house rather than in a hotel room or at a resort. I mean, you know, we're kind of limited, obviously, with the, the border closed. We usually spend a couple of trips up to, to Canada, but without that, we kind of may do and you know, we get the adventure of doing a little ice camping. No, oh, that's that's a whole lot of fun. And that's kind of what you have to do, right? Just with our circumstance. And like you say, the border closing, just make the best of the other opportunities while, we, while we're while we here. And, and then 
you know, hopefully it won't be that much longer and we'll be able to run around and do all those things we used to do. Yeah. And I know you yourself, you've spent some extra time in a hard shack this year as well. Well, and yeah, Anthony, it's, it's kind of been a new adventure for me. Last year, last winter is the first time I've ever uh, spent a night in, in what I would call the modern version of a wheelhouse, right? I've, I've spent um, some time up on Lake of the Woods in a sleeper house and, and that's great accommodations too, but you know, the, the real camper style, I mean, the nice ones like you guys have and, and some of those, the, the ice castles, the glaciers, the, the yetis, all of these, they're, they're, I mean, it's living in style. And so I had one, one night with uh, my brother-in-law, we got to go out and catch some walleyes. That was a lot of fun. And then spent, and, and of course, when you make these reservations, right? And one of our guests later in the podcast, Randon Olson, he's a guide, Ottertail County, Lockjaw Guide Service. He's got some of these, these wheelhouses for rent. We booked a weekend. Normally a weekend we head to Canada. We knew we weren't going to, so we, we rented these wheelhouses from him, two of them. And um, Scott Brewer and his wife had one. My wife and I had the other. And then, then we had another fish house that uh, Scott's son, uh, his wife, and, and then Scott's daughter stayed in. Well, lo and behold, you don't know this when you rent them in late November or December. But, of course, it was that weekend you mentioned earlier when you stayed home because it was minus 25, minus 30, minus 34 was the lowest I saw. And um, that adds a whole other dimension to this whole ice camping thing. Uh, when you start talking about making sure the propane is still flowing and still able to run the furnace and it, you're not able to just walk outside and drill a hole and start fishing in that body of water. You kind of are staying inside and, and, uh, but yet again, it created some memories. It was an adventure. We set up, uh, an Eskimo pop-up hub shack and use that for, uh, for running the grill and, and running the fish fryer. And that, that kind of helped a little bit with, uh, taking the chill out of the air and, yeah, you make the best of it in those scenarios, and, and we still had a lot of fun. We still caught some fish. You're basically vacationing on the ice. There's not a whole lot worse than that. I mean, yeah, it could be better if it was a little bit warmer out, but, you know, you get out and chase after a few things maybe during the day, but you know in the back of your head you got a nice warm place to escape to if you need to. That's that's exactly right, and, um, you know, kudos to our wives and, and to some of the others that were along that hadn't done this before. I think um, when you talk about being prepared, right? And and I know like you, I I've got the gear. I can I can be outside for I mean even at thirty four below, you can still be outside and and function if you if you've got your clothes on, you layer up and and you make sure that you don't have any of that exposed skin. Um, but but some of the other folks that were kind of newbies at this, they were good sports. They stuck to it and uh, and it all turned out really really good. Uh, probably the hardest thing for me is I was I was a little frustrated because we we went on a little adventure outside of the the wheelhouse and we were gonna go chase some tulabies. And my truck said minus 34, and I wasn't smart enough to set my buddy heater and 20-pound cylinder inside the fish house overnight. And uh, after about an hour and 20 minutes trying to get the buddy heater lit, we called her quits and gave up. And <laughs> I was just disappointed because I know those fish were there and I knew they were ready to be caught. Yeah, we had the same experience on our last trip. I think it was 20-something below in the morning and 
like you said, the heaters didn't want to start, you know, we're trying everything and finally we got one to go and that was warming up the other two and started a truck and threw one in there. But yeah, it just adds a level of complexity. And I know you touched on it a little bit with the, the clothing that Eskimo has now. I mean, you're putting on two of the neck gaiters and an extra, you know, balaclava and putting it on and you've got your hats and the big chopper mitts and you're not able to function outside as easily, but it is, it keeps you warm. And, you know, as long as you have the right gear, I think that's the key. Yeah. And, you know, surprisingly, even at, even at 35 below, uh, once you do get a buddy heater started, once you do get your heater rolling, it's, I mean, you're very comfortable inside an insulated uh, shelter, whether it be a flip over or a hub shack it becomes very comfortable. Not that you're going to be sitting there in a t-shirt, but yet it's it's certainly a scenario where you, if you think it out, and, and even in those cold temperatures, you go out, you've got your gear, you set it up, you get the heater going, you're going to be able to have a very comfortable day out on the ice. Well, not even just a day, but you look online and on YouTube, how many of those guys are doing the YouTube thing where they're camping out overnight and spending time out on the ice overnight and it's 20, 30 below it. It can be done. You just have to prepare a little bit more for it and have the gear. Yeah, you're right. In fact, I was told um, recently that sleeping in a wheelhouse really isn't camping. (laughs) It's clamping. Well, yeah, right. Um, This was coming from a guy who spends, as you described, those nights out in a hub shack uh, with a buddy heater on. Yeah, no, it, it's nice. Um, I haven't actually camped in a pop-up like some of these guys are doing yet. I'm sure I will at some point, but, you know, why would I do that when I got a nice warm big bite and a fold-out bunk and all the amenities that you need? You don't have to worry about stepping on the cold ice or anything like that. So, no, it's been, it's definitely been an interesting year and, I've got some trips planned. I know we talked a little bit about that. What do you got on the radar coming up? You know, as this podcast is released, the very next day, I'm going to be hitting a local, uh, some local lakes in the Detroit Lakes area, uh, not too far from Fargo here, and and chasing some panfish, doing some some uh, uh, an outing with a group that I've been involved with for 20 years now, and that's uh, a, a group through our church, Men in Boats, and uh, of course that that kind of morphed into Men on Ice. We have a, an event, and, you know, typically it's a destination event, but with COVID, we just say we just do a one-day outing, so we're going to go out to a lake, and we can, we can distance socially out on the ice, right? And we can, we can still take our precautions but have a good time. So it would be really fun to, to see some of those folks and wet a line and, and just kind of just have a chance to, to see some of the people that maybe it's, maybe it's been darn near a year since we've seen. That'll be fun, and, and of course – I mean, we're rounding the corner here into March, right, Anthony? And and I'll tell you what, where we live, once you turn that calendar over to March, um, you, you're on borrowed time, right? And and there's still good ice. I, there's going to be plenty of ice fishing opportunities, but you just don't know how long that ice is going to be good once you get into March and especially into that second and third week. So my hope is that uh, I have a lot more time yet out on the ice before before this season passes and is done. And I'm uh, going to kind of do my best to take advantage of every opportunity I have. How about you? Yeah, like you mentioned, it's going to be a matter of how long we have ice. I think around here, you know, we didn't get as much ice as we normally do. We don't have the snowpack that we normally do, so it's probably going to go quick. I mean, they're still driving vehicles in a lot of places, but 
it won't be long until it's just ATVs and snowmobiles. So that'll limit some people. And, you know, it depends on how fast it warms up. I know they're talking forties next week, so that'll probably take care of what snow we have left. And after that, it's just a matter of time before the ice melts. But after that, I'll probably try and sneak as far North as I can probably get up to Lake of the woods one more time before the ice goes up there. That's probably about the furthest North destination I can hit to be able to get on some safe ice legally with the border closed. Right. Yeah. (laughs) So before we wrap up this segment, Anthony, what so far of this season, what's your most memorable moment or catch or, or memory that you've made here since, uh, since the lakes have frozen? Um, I'd have to say we had a fish addictions episode. We were out in North Dakota and I caught a personal best perch Um, It was over 15 inches, right around two pounds. And, you know, to be able to share that with some buddies and put it on film and get some really good photos of it, it was one of those, one of those goals you set and you start the season. I mean, I'm always trying to, you know, catch a trophy type fish when I go out and, you know, spend a lot of time doing that to be able to catch one of those fish. That was uh, definitely a milestone and a highlight for me. Uh, How about for you? Um, Honestly, I I can't say I've broken any personal best. So that, that, I mean, that's, that is always a goal, and that's one of the things that always drives me and, and I think most ice anglers, right, to get the big one. Um, and congratulations, by the way, because that's a monster perch. That is that is just a slob of a perch at 15-plus at inches. So um, they don't come around every day. For me, I think the, the memory that I, I'm kind of clinging to at this point is just a matter of a week ago when I had the opportunity to, for the first time to ever go out and intentionally target burbot. Having not done that before. I mean, I've caught them, incidentally. But to go out, and I go back to our podcast with Tim Humphreys here a few weeks back. Maybe it's been a month or so now. The information that he shared and and kind of how he spelled out, you know, targeting these fish, where to find them, how to catch them. I used that playbook, and it, it worked out exactly the way the script was written. And it was a whole lot of fun. We didn't get any giants, but we got some fish. We got some fish in the ice. We got some food. Uh, um, some fish to take home and eat. And so uh, that one is sticking with me right now. And, and uh, that won't be the last time I'm out doing that. Well, and seeing the food that you prepared, I know that that's going to be something that I'm going to have to pick off of you on how that turned out. Cause that looked pretty darn, darn good too. Well, I'm going, I'm going on that one to give credit where credit's due. And that's a Josh McFadden shack talk episode as well. So folks, if you're listening, you, you need to go back and listen to, listen to uh, Tim Humphreys talk about how to catch burbot, then go listen to the Josh McFadden segment and uh, listen to him talk about how to prepare that lobster roll, the poor man lobster roll. But I tell you what, it was so good. Absolutely. No, it looked fantastic. And I mean, it's been fun uh, getting out, trying new things, trying new recipes. I know we've talked a little bit about catching cook and different things like that, but I know you and myself, we're always looking for different things and, So, I mean, if somebody's listening to this too and you are interested in that recipe or different things or maybe you've got recipes to share, shoot them over to us. We love to hear new recipe ideas and and different things along those lines. I Being stuck at home and working from home and different things, I I find myself scratching my head almost on a daily basis. I'm like, what am I going to cook for supper? So, always looking to try new things. So... We'll be back in just a little bit with our next segment. We're going to dive into another species driven topic and, you know, something that maybe doesn't get a lot of attention, but uh, I know Kyle himself and my, I've had the opportunity to fish for him as well. So we're going to be talking to a So stick around. We'll be right back. 
welcome back to our second segment of Shack Talk. And as we mentioned earlier in the first segment, we're going to be diving into another species-driven topic. And we've covered a lot of different topics. And so if you're listening and maybe we don't talk about the, the fish species you're interested in chasing, go back and listen to one of our previous segments. We've covered pretty much all of them. We got a couple left. And, and one that we're going to be talking about today, as I mentioned, is tuba bees. They probably are probably don't get the love that they should. They, they might have a bad rap for being a, you know, maybe a little greasy, maybe a little stinky when you catch them, but boy, they're, they're almost like a freshwater lake trout. They're, there's something that don't, don't really get enough appreciation. Kyle, what do you think? I uh, know I'm a hundred percent in agreement and you know, that the slime, the smell, whatever, it's part of the game. You know, the first time you pull one of these fish off of the smoker, and and taste that oh they are just delicious you, you forget about all the other stuff and and i agree i don't know if they're on the bottom of the appreciation list in terms of fish species um may, maybe um they're right ahead of burbot i don't know uh but they're not they're definitely not up there in in terms of a common fish that people are are um, really familiar with and chase a lot yeah, definitely. But for us, I know Kyle and myself, we are kind of new to the two would be game. We've gotten after it a little bit and had our chance and fair share of targeting them on the ice. But we wanted to bring in someone that maybe has a little bit more insight on where these fish are, why they do what they do. And so we want to welcome Andrew Shea to the podcast. Uh, he's a fellow ice junkie like us, and he just wants to talk to us a little bit about uh, tula bees and how he goes about targeting them and where we can find them. So welcome to the podcast. Uh, thanks, Anthony. Thanks, Kyle, for having me. Excited to tell people about this uh, this new fish species that uh, that we that I've been targeting now for about 15 years, um, been around for longer than that but we really something we really like to chase especially this time of year now's the time right i mean we are in prime time as we are looking here late late february in fact by the time this podcast you know uh airs here we're on the last weekend of february we're going into march we're going to that home stretch of the ice season and from what i understand andrew this if you're going to target tulabies this is the time to be out doing it this is when that when that air temperature starts warming, that water starts coming back into the holes, the bug hatch that's going on out in that deeper water, the small minnows that are starting to go out there to feed on that plankton that's out there, those tulbies follow that. They go out there, they feed on that plankton, feed on the small minnows that are out there in these holes. So just to be even, maybe even back it up just a little bit, because we, we're very often when we're talking about a species-specific conversation here as we as we get into it for me anyway to understand better i like to know a little bit about these fish kind of the biology behind them right and and knowing what is the the biology of a tulipy what are they right and that and that's really important to know when targeting targeting these fish so they're part of the salmonidae family so which similar to a salmon where they constantly need to be moving. They can't just sit down on the bottom like a crop, like you see a crappie sitting in the cabbage, just sit there and flutter its fins and sit there while its gills move. These fish need to move. They need to push water through their gills or they need current. Salmon, trout, they use current sometimes to do that. But we're, we're I'm mainly going to talk more about inland lakes right now and where these fish are constantly moving. And they're going to be where the bait fish are just like anything else this time of year, but they're constantly going to be moving, which means that there's multiple ways to target these fish through the ice. 
that's really interesting and you know learning a little bit more about tulubies as you're looking for tulubies is there i know in the lakes that i've targeted and we've been in you know pretty deep water you know maybe clear water is there a type of water or body of water that these fish tend to thrive in or where do you typically find tulubies you know in our neck of the woods you know in the detroit lakes area we mainly find them in deeper bodies of water thing where the water gets deeper than 50 feet, 60 feet. Um, and we target them in some of those holes. Now that's not saying that we necessarily target them in the deepest holes of the lake. I fish one of the lakes that gets over 115 feet deep in multiple places throughout the lake. But their main place where we fish them is after this long flat of about 36 feet of water is where it kind of is, is the deepest spot. Then it, goes and drops into about 54 feet. That's where we actually are targeting these fish. We're targeting them along the break lines that are coming down to that 54 foot hole. That's really interesting. And I know myself and Kyle, I mean, before we actually started targeting these fish, it was probably something that was a bycatch, whether you're out on Lake of the Woods or Mille Lacs or a bigger body of water. Is there any kind of rhyme or reason to those fish in those bodies of water? Or is it just that they're in that that system as kind of the bait fish for the system. Tulby is a highly sought after bait fish. I mean, for these large muskies, walleyes, bass, and, and they're in these bodies of water. I mean, but they thrive in them. I mean, the Lake of the Woods, where, where are you catching all those, a lot of those tulabies? You're either catching them out in the mud flats where they're chasing the same thing. They're chasing the plankton, the small minnows, the same thing that the, that the perch that are out there chasing, that the walleyes are chasing. Um, in terms of, you know, like a Malax, the same type of thing. You know, where are these tulbies targeting bait fish this time of year, especially, you know, off those mud flats. Um, a lot of, lot, lot of tulbies being caught off those mud flats right now. But I think it's important to also, when you're targeting them, to try to find something that they're relating to. Because just going out in the middle of a flat can be intimidating because some of them are large. Take Malax, for example, where the mud flats are very large. There's still a lot of fish caught when they, when it, does that mud to sand transition, mud to rock transition off of those reefs and things like that. That's what I would target if I was going to fish those types of bodies of water. Uh, same on leech, where you get some long, some of those long 44-foot flats that are out there. A lot of the good tulip fishing gets to be kind of getting close to those breaks where it gets back up into that shallower water. And that's kind of where, where they target. Um, I do just want to talk really quick on tulipies in general and why... Understanding them is good for tulby fishing, which is what we're kind of talking about, but also good for game fish fishing when, when we're fishing open water in the fall and understanding, you know, what these tulbies do and understanding their spawn. They don't spawn in the spring like our walleyes do and our muskies do. They spawn in the fall, late fall, when the water temp gets below 45 degrees. So we're talking mid-October, beginning November. And why is that important is... They spawn in shallow, sandy, hard bottoms. And we're talking two to Great Lakes gets a little bit deeper, but inland lakes, two to 10, two to 12 feet of water is where they're spawning. And they spawn at night. They don't spawn during the day. They spawn at night. So those fish are pushing up to spawn at night. Well, those muskies and walleys are following them up. And then in the day, they're sliding back off into that deeper water adjacent to those spawning grounds. And that's where those muskies are. That's where those walleyes are. And that's why you see a lot of people in the fall when they're pulling big suckers along the, along the break lines there, adjacent to those spawning grounds, fishing muskies, 
fishing big walleyes. Because those game fish are nearby. They've been targeting the tulipy during during that spawn period. And, of course, obviously a, a sucker going by on a leash is a free meal. Mm-hmm. So that's what they're going to do. So the spawn in, in the tulipies, they're coming up into the shallow waters. Where are they spending the rest of the year? We find a lot of them in the winter months, early on in the winter. You, you get those accidental catches like Anthony was talking about. Those tulipies are in that... 15 to 25 feet of water, just kind of cruising around. They're not really schooled up yet. And that's where you get those accidental catches. As it progresses later on into the winter, they start moving out over that deeper water. You'll see them if you're fishing crappies, you're fishing a deep crappie hole and you're catching your crappies in 30 feet. And all of a sudden you have a school, you're watching electronics, you have a school of fish come through quickly at 10 feet. Those are two of these. So I know they're oftentimes referred to as pelagic fish. Mm -hmm. And for those people who may not understand that term, that certainly is is something that's different than a fish like a walleye or a crappie that relates to a structure uh, or certain types of cover. They're basically roaming. Yeah, they're swimming around, um, suspended for the most part. Very seldom do we see them swimming on the bottom. When we're talking tulipies, when you're talking whitefish, that's something a little bit different. Um, but when you're talking tulipies um, and just looking at their mouth where that lower jaw extends out beyond that upper jaw, I mean, they're feeding they're, they're feeding up, they're feeding on that, on those plankton and things like that, that are, that are above them. It's interesting too, that you mentioned that. I know for our listeners, they're probably maybe don't understand the difference of the tulipy and a whitefish. They are two completely different species. Um, you know, tulipies are more closely related to the ciscos or the bait fish, but, and you mentioned the, the identification other than the, the mouth, you know, the bottom jaw being up over the top jaw for tulipies and the vice versa for the whitefish. Is there any other differences between the two? A lot of it has to do with um, a lot of people look at the size of them, uh, the size structure of a tulipy, you know, a, a big tulipy being, you know, 23 inches. That's a really big tulipy. I mean, 18, 19, 20 inch tulipy is where a whitefish, I believe the state record in Minnesota is a little over 12 pounds caught out of leech wow. lake. And there's a couple of big ones caught on Lake the woods. And those are the, those are, those are the places where we really have them. Great lakes, um, leech and Lake the woods for that. I know of for whitefish. I'm sure there's some lakes up by Eli that Eli that have them as well. But, um, those are the lakes that I know of where people can target whitefish. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I know even in like the Brainerd Lakes area, um, I think Whitefish Lake, I know the guys on the Fur Hat Ice Tour, I think they were doing some spearing and they may have speared one uh, when they were pike spearing too. So um, there's a few lakes with them around, but back to kind of the tulipies a little bit. What is it that you're using when you're going out and targeting these fish? So we use flasher rigs is what we use to target these tulipies. And that consists of a spoon, so your main line to a spoon, and for a spoon, I've used daredevils, I've used Swedish pimples, I've used JRs, which some of the Winnipeg people will know, JLs, which is a Rapala company, um, peg spoons, and pretty much any type of spoon that's out there that has a flash to it. And then from there, take off the treble hook and attach down a dropper of 14 to 18 inches to a small tungsten jig, usually you know anywhere from the three to a five millimeter tungsten jig, um, use a lot of glow jigs. I like them to glow. Um, and then we use plastics, um, soft plastics, something that if, if the listeners out here really want to target this panfish pirates out of Dent, Minnesota makes a very, very good plastic that we use of the ripper for, uh, fishing these tulipies. 
and then we'll tip them with waxworms and we'll use multiple waxworms. Don't be afraid to put two, three waxworms on a hook. Um, give them something to look at, give them something to see when it's down there. For those spoons that you're using, is there a certain size, small spoons, big spoons? I know when I've gone out and I actually was able to target them, you know, it, it did seem to make a little bit of a difference. A lot of us are using maybe a little too small of spoon, a bigger spoon seemed to kind of attract them in. Is that something that you find too? Yeah, it's tough to say, but size matters, especially when it comes to this. I mean, we've used anything from a small Swedish pimple uh, to these three and a half inch JL spoons that 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 people use, um, that people troll salmon with up at the Great Lakes. Um, we have found that experimenting with different sizes, different colors is important on a, on a given day in the morning. Sometimes it'll switch between that early morning bite and that bite that starts an hour and a half later, you'll be fishing a different size spoon, different color spoon. Okay, so the idea of this whole dropper rig is a little bit, it was foreign to me the first time I went out, right? Because I'd never fished a dropper before. And it's different than the way that that most people typically target your, your walleye, your crappie, your bluegill and whatnot. So just, you mentioned it's a spoon, main line to a spoon, and then another another segment of fishing line down to that tungsten. So what's the technique as you're out there? You mentioned we're, we're targeting some deeper areas on the lake. These fish don't stop moving. So how do you find where they're at, and how do you entice them to bite? To find them, a lot of times what we do is we'll start on the edges of the holes and we will start by drilling some holes along the edge and moving our way out to the middle so that we have different holes that we can kind of hole hop to. Um, one positive about these fish moving all the time, a lot of times they'll come to you. If you can find that area that they're trans, that they're, that they're swimming through, you don't have to move much. You can park yourself there and, and target these fish when we're actually fishing them. What I like to do is I like to try to get them really excited, which by doing that, when, when there's no fish on the screen, we're ripping those lures a couple feet up and down, up and down, trying, trying to, trying to entice a fish to come in when, when they do, if they're not chasing really hard, we'll drop the, we'll drop the spoon past their face, bring it back up, try to get them to chase the spoon. They start chasing the spoon. You're reeling up and, and sometimes it's a race and you try to get that lure in front of them, give them the meat to kind of look at this, to try to bite. But that's uh, getting them excited is really important. When watching these fish on the screen, if you, you know, if you're utilizing electronics and electronics has made tool be fishing a lot easier, there's no doubt that has made it simpler. These fish will come in all over the, all over the, all over the water column. We've caught them when fishing in 85 feet of water, we've caught them 60, 70 feet down to five, six feet down. And in the place where we fish, when it's 50 feet, we catch them. A lot of them, we catch 35 to 40 and the other group we catch 10 to 15. And that's just where they are. And they'll come through. If you can figure out what depth they're kind of coming through that day, a lot of fish will come through at those depths. Um, but uh, fishing with the, those electronics, really pay attention. And if you see something flickering at five feet down, get up to it because those tulies are swimming there. That's where the bait fish are. That's where that's when they're chasing those small minnows. Those small minnows are right below the ice usually. And that's what they're coming through. That's where they're coming through. It's really interesting because I had the opportunity to target tulibies as you're explaining um, for the first time just a couple of weeks ago. And it was that hundred uh, percent. We had a, lot, a couple of live scopes down and, you know, those fish would come in either along the bottom, they'd come in at 45, 50 feet, 
or they'd come in right below the ice. It definitely seemed to be a few of those key areas that those fish would come in. And like you said, it's just like fishing a lake trout. I know I mentioned that before, but it's 100% a cat and mouse game. The more those fish are chasing, the more you get them riled up, the more likely they are to bite. Yeah, that's correct. And I like fishing those shallow fish. They seem to be a little more aggressive. They seem to be a little more chasing around apt to bite than those, than those deeper fish. Um, so whenever I see them up high, that's those, I'm leaving those fish down lower to go up and fish those higher fish. Oh, absolutely. And you probably a little bit more likely to see your line move or feel the bite when they're a little shallower than when you're trying to target those fish that are 50, 60, 70 feet down. Yeah. That, that becomes a challenge, right? I mean, rod selection is important when you're fishing these fish because when, when you went, when we talked about their mouth and, and in that lower jaw and the upper jaw, I mean, they're sucking that in coming up. So sometimes they're coming up with the lure. So you're not feeling much. That's where having a light sensitive tip. I mean, we're talking, you know, on some of these lakes, I'm fishing a bull whip, a fusion, um, from tuned up custom rods. Um, but anything you have out there with a lighter tip to, to be able to trigger those bites, they'll grab it and they'll swim sideways. So all you're going to get is a little load on a little load on your tip. And as soon as you, as soon as you think that that fish has it, you better set the hook to make sure that, make sure that, that, they're, that, that they stay on and they don't spit it back out. So when you're talking just for, for folks who may not be familiar, we're talking, um, maybe on the upper end of a panfish style rod, the lower end of a walleye style rod, um, that what medium light to light action. Yep. Medium light to light action, light walleye, heavy panfish type rods um, we found it have worked the best and you can get away with with some of with some of your heavier walleye gear if that's what you have and using some of the larger spoons that are available out there a little heavier spoons um just so you get that little bit of a, a little bit of a you know rod that rod tip action at the end but i mean it's it's a pretty it's a, it it's Hook a sets are free. Hook sets are free. Yeah. I know that when we were out there fishing them, we just, you'd almost have to do the phantom hook set. Like you'd watch them come up on the electronics. And if you think they bit, you just set the hook. Yep. Because if you're, if you're trying to get them riled up, if you set the hook and they're not there and the bait goes away, they just keep chasing it. Yep. So we were just, you know, you'd kind of reel it up and you maybe, I don't know if you've seen the line move or the tip move, but we just set the hook. Um, it was really fun. It was really interesting to try and get those fish dialed in. It was something new for me. And so the, the kind of the phrase of the day was the, the phantom hook set or hook sets are free. So, you know, don't be afraid if you're watching them on the electronics, because there was a lot of times where you really couldn't tell if they bit to your point that they bite pretty light, but you'd set the hook and you might get lucky and have one. Otherwise it just kind of rile them up a little bit to get them to chase. Yeah. And, and you know, they do school this time of year. I mean, so you'll, you'll have, it's not uncommon to have five, six fish on the screen at the same time, having, having those fish swim around, chasing the spoon, um, it gets, it, it can get sporty down there. And these are not baby fish either. I know some people have said kind of that, that adage it's, they look like big minnows. They're not minnows. These are not, these fish put up a fight. This is a fun action packed way to fish. Oh, definitely. I mean, one, one, to me, it's one of the most fun fish that, that, that I can fish right now, especially this time of year. And it extends, it extends the season. I'm not just chasing panfish now. And yeah, panfish fishing is great right now, but this is something that I can do um, and really target something that's going to pop up a fight and talk about, you know, when's the best time to catch these fish, the best time to catch these fish, to target these fish right away in the morning when the sun's just starting to come up. This is a before sunrise target, get out there, get in your spot, sit down and be ready for 
an intense couple hour bite window. Wow. So it's a morning bite. What about other peak times during the day? Do people fish them in the evenings as well? People do fish them in the evenings as well. Um, and, and, they, and they do, they do bite again in the evenings. They do bite all day. We have a couple lakes where we can target these fish all day, um, and catch them, uh, and different, different locations. Sometimes you can go move into those. When I talked about, Hey, would, I don't necessarily always fish the deepest holes, but if I'm going to fish them all day, I'm going to, I'm going to move to some of those deeper holes and see if they're staging out there and trying to get a few of them to, uh, to start chasing. I think that's really good advice. And like you said, when you get one of these fish and it's 30, 40 feet down and it's fighting like a two pound crappie, I mean, there's nothing better than that. They're, they're exciting to watch on the, on the electronics, like you said, and it's just another fish to to chase and get after. And I don't know about you, Kyle, but I've had my fair share of bluegills and crappies this winter. Targeting something else was definitely a lot of fun. It's a blast. It's a variety thing. It's something different. And I know the first time I went out, I had a little bit of a frustration factor. A friend of mine took me out. And of course, he had about seven, eight of them on the ice before I could figure out that whole game of what that bite felt like, what they wanted from me in terms of the, the lure action. Once I figured it out, it was so much fun. And that's part of the challenge, I think, with some different species and trying and diversifying yourself as an angler. Andrew, just um, just to kind of transition a little bit to the next phase here. So we, we, we look at what we might want to share with our listeners. I know in fishing with you, you bleed your fish right away, right? You, you clip the gills, you let them bleed out. Um, number one, pulling fish out of water of this depth, is there such thing as catch and release? Or once you pull them up, you got to keep them. With these fish, you can let them go. There's no swim bladder in them. They can, that, and that's why you see them. They'll, when you're jigging them, they'll come up 40, 50 feet. I mean, you can chase them up from, from, from 70 and you'll end, might end up catching them in 20. But without that, without that swim bladder in them, the, you can easily catch these fish and let them go out of any depth. That's, that's the nice thing. That's, uh, we enjoy that. We do a lot of catch and release with these tulipies as, as we get later into the season. So if you're going to keep some, folks are going to keep some, um, you know, obviously we always promote conservation and, and respect and thoughtfulness and, you know, and, and being intentional and not just being wasteful, but if we're going to go out and we're going to catch some tulipy. We want to keep some, they are delicious. Um, as I said, I noticed you, you bleed yours. Is that a good practice? Um, what, what are the other things we need to be aware of in terms of keeping these fish so we can bring them, bring them home, clean them up, put them on the table. Sure. I, I do bleed my tulipies, um, under the belief that the meat becomes whiter, gets that blood out, out of, out of the meat. Um, there's a lot of people that don't, and I'm not going to say that there's a right or wrong way to do that. It's just what I, how I was taught to do it. Um, and I've always bled my tulipies since I started fishing them 15, 16 years ago, but that's a personal choice if you want to do that or not. Um, but, uh, what, what, so what do we do with them once, once we catch them and, and we decide that we're going to keep them, well, there's a lot of things that we can do with tulipies that, that not everybody maybe thinks of or knows of, or doesn't think you can. Um, personally, what do I do with a lot of mine? I smoke mine. Um, it's very easy. It's very simple. We're talking a gallon of water, a cup of salt of pickling salt, half a cup to a cup of brown sugar, maybe a little liquid smoke if you want to put that in there. And I'm soaking them for 24 hours. I'm putting them on the smoker at 190 degrees for three hours, four hours until until they're done. It's 160 degree internal temp. 
or until that, that meat starts peeling off of the skin. That's when I know that, that they're done. I like mine to be a little moist. Um, I eat mine a lot with crackers and things like that. So I want a little bit of moisture in there as well. Um, but what's some other things that we can do with them? There's people that fry them and people that love that. They, they like, they like that deep fried tulipy. There's people that can them, which is really good. I've had some canned tulipy and that's pretty good. Um, pickle, you know, a lot of people pickle them as well. Um, bake them. We have people that bake them. We have people that, that just open up the cavity, um, cut the head off, open up the cavity and stuff them and bake them, um, as well. So, I mean, there's a lot of things that we can do with these fish and there's a lot of resources out there to, um, to be able to look at, you know, what other people are doing, um, as well as Facebook groups. There, there's lots of, uh, recipes out on the internet as well. And if you just want to look at, you know, a lot of people, if you look at how to cook like a white fish and things like that, and you cook the tool be the exact same way. And there's a lot of recipes out there for that as well. You know, Andrew, we're talking with Andrew Shea. He is a very avid tulipy angler, very avid angler. We're talking about tulipies here. And before we wrap up, Andrew, I got two questions for you. If you dare disclose it, what's your favorite lake to fish tulipies? You know, this year, specifically based off uh, based off of the size structure that's out there, I would have to say Star Lake over by Pelican Rapids would would definitely be my number one tulipy lake right now. Um, it's good size fish, and what I like about out there is that there's multiple holes. So if you get a few guys fishing one hole and you're like, well, it's pretty crowded there, there's several other holes that you can go to and target fish. How about for a destination tulipy lake? So if you're looking outside of your home area. I, it depends on if, if I'm going to go, I'm going to go to Leech Lake because the, the limits are, are, are very open and, uh, and there's a lot of fish and the chance to hook into a white fish while you're out there. I think that's an attraction. If I was new to Tulipy fishing, I'd be sending everybody to Mille Lacs. go out on Randy's roads that are out there. He plows roads specifically to the Tulipy locations. It's not that hard to go out there. Look for blood. I mean, that's where there's a lot of people that bleed their fish. Look for blood. And that's one way to, to know if people are catching tulipies in those locations. Okay. Last question, Andrew, big, what's your personal best tulipy? How big? Oh, I haven't caught anything probably real big, probably that, that 19 and a half, 20 inch mark, which is, well, that's a big tulipy. That's still a big tulipy. That's a very um, big tulipy. But, uh, I, and I, I have some friends who have caught some that are much larger than that. They're still in the tulipy class that have been pushing state records. So that's exciting. Very exciting. Andrew, thanks for taking a little bit of time today and enlightening both Anthony and I um, about Tulaby. I know, I think I can speak for Anthony and myself. Um, we've got a few things to have, you know, floating around in our heads next time we go out and try this, which we're going to be doing, no question about it. Um, we appreciate your expertise. We appreciate your insight and sharing all that information with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Folks, um, we're going to take a quick break, but we're going to be back in a minute here. We're going to be back with Randon Olson of Lockjaw Guide Service. He is going to be our, our guest featured in our social fish dancing segment. Really excited to hear what, what Randon has to say and uh, where that conversation leads. Stick around, folks. We'll be right back with more Shack Talk.
Welcome back to our third and final segment of this Shack Talk Ice Fishing Podcast episode. Again, Kyle Agri, Anthony Kleinwachter, we are your hosts. We're going to welcome in a good friend of ours, Mr. Randon Olson of Lockjaw Guide Service, West Central Minnesota Otter Tail County Fishing Guide. And this is our social fish sink segment. And so, as we've done in all of our episodes this year, we've taken this third segment and we've just really said, it's an open book. It's an open script. It's uh, no topic here that we're going to dial in and there's no topic that's off limits. We're going to talk. We're going we're gonna to just have some shack talk, right? That conversation we might have out on the ice in one of our shelters uh, set up with a, with a line in the water. Unfortunately, Anthony and I don't have a line in the water, but I got a gut feeling Mr. Olson is probably sitting somewhere over a hole right now. Uh, not too far from his home, uh, probably probably about to catch a fish if I'm not too far off on that guess there. Randon, welcome to Shack Talk. Thanks for having me, guys. This will be a fun one. And so am I or am I not accurate in that depiction? Well, I just let one go. <laughs> so so, so it, it, you're, you're pretty close. Pretty close. Yeah, and we really wanted to do this segment on the ice with Randon in a in a shack and do a true shack talk, but I guess this will have to work for now, huh? I guess so. <laughs> so what are you fishing for? Oh, we're getting a few bluegills today. Fantastic. The and, gateway drug. You know, and, and that is kind of the, the part of the season we're at, at least in Minnesota, in your neck of the woods, Randon. Um, we're knocking here on the end of February, and that also in, signifies the end of the walleye, the pike, the game fish season. And so a lot of folks are turning their attention to, to bluegill, sunfish, crappies, and some of the others, tulipy and burbot as well. But it's uh, it's given those fish an opportunity to shine now too. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, especially more in the, in the tulipy and burbot. Um, those are kind of fish of the past, you know, like burbot. I was just telling a guy the other day, it used to be on Otter Tail Lake. You'd see tulipy, or uh, excuse me, you'd see burbot just laying all over the ice. People catch them, throw them on the lake. They didn't want them. Wow. Now you, you'd have people out there in their minivans picking them up if that were still the case. It's it's become a, a kind of a prize fish, and, and the tulipies aren't far behind that. Yeah, we just talked about it in our first segment, a uh, little uh, burbot lobster roll or poor man's lobster roll. There's so many you know, different ways to repair burbot. And it's really, like you said, an underrated species for that. But I think it's starting to hit the radar a little bit more these days. And I know even just in the news, they were talking, they might even put a limit on them going forward. Yeah. And I think that would be a good idea. Um, get it, get it now, you know, before it gets real popular and we, there's a possibility we might hurt the fishery in some way just by not having a limit. So I, I'm definitely in favor of that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, at least some sort of limit on the top end, you know, something that's liberal where you can still enjoy it and take some home. But, you know, like you said, that there's not people taking advantage of that. And, you know, I think it is kind of a, a niche species that probably doesn't get a ton of attention yet, but, you know, maybe to your point, maybe before it does start to become more popular or, you know, the, the word gets out on how people are catching these fish. I know we talked a little bit about it. Um, Kyle went out and got on them for the first time and, you know, we just took the playbook that we talked to somebody that had done it before. So I think there's a lot to be said about that. And, 
you know, setting up those limits and, you know, hopefully there's more of that to come. I, I commend the, the game and fish for doing what they do and having to try and control all the limits and different things like that. But um, I'm sure as a guide, you'd rather see the fishery sustain itself than uh, being able to take those extra fish home. Yeah. I'm, I'm a big proponent of, of new water. And, and what I mean by that is, is even when I'm guiding, you know, I might have three spots that are guaranteed fish, but I'm not going to go there and just beat those spots up till they're dead. Um, Cause then I'm just kind of fishing myself out of a job, so to speak. So I'm a big fan of finding new areas, new waters, new species um, and, and chasing everything really. Um, and I think that's something that a lot of people, you know, maybe bypass a little bit. And uh, it, it, I find a lot of really cool and interesting tactics to catch fish and different ways to catch fish just by kind of opening the horizon, so to speak, and, and going out there and, and just trying something. It's really neat to hear your philosophy as a guide, Randon. And, and for our listeners, let's just go back a little bit. Because when I met you, you were guiding, but you were guiding part-time. You had a full-time gig, nine to five, probably even more than nine to five. And you were, you were. Um, I remember some of those early conversations, Randon. You, were, you had a goal in mind. You had a goal. You wanted to be a full-time guide. How did that all come to be? Was that a was that a goal you had growing up? Was that a goal that came about in your adulthood? Just tell a little bit of your story. <laughs> You're probably going to laugh a little bit, but um, I've always in, I've been fishing since before I could walk. Uh, my dad's a, a really avid walleye guy. Um, won a lot of tournaments, and I fished quite a few of those tournaments with him. Um, and I've always kind of changed my favorite species, so to speak, growing up. You know, and as a kid, it was bluegills and panfish, whatever you could catch off the dock. And as I got to the boat, it started to become bass and pike and, and things like that. And um, we always chased walleyes. That's all my dad ever fishes for. But um, the, the more I progressed, the more I, I got into just trying to catch everything. Um, and, and so many people bypass some of those fish like the burbot or carp or suckers. And they are so much fun to catch. It's it's unreal, and it, it boggles me that nobody does it. But um, So I kind of progressed along as I went, and uh, I, I kind of had an idea I wanted to get into the fishing industry. And I kind of, in the back of my head, I always thought it was going to be like tackle or or something like that. Um, and the, the funny part of the story is when I met my wife, my friends told me, well, you're not going to be able to fish as much as you do. She's, you're going to be stuck at home. And, and I said, well, heck with that. I said, she can't tell me no if I'm getting paid. So, so that's essentially how I started guiding. That's a um, great was, strategy. Yeah. Brandon. That's a great, I've not heard that one before, but I like it. Yeah. It's, and it kind of grew. I didn't put a lot into it the first couple of years. And, um, you know, I'm probably six or seven years into this now. Um, and I'm now about a year and a half full time. And I wouldn't change it for the world. I love it. I love every minute of it or lack of sleep or anything that happens. I just, I love it all. It, it's a blast. What Randon is, is you are a, a guide. You're at 365 days a year, meaning all four seasons, right? You're out uh, guiding all four seasons for whatever is legal, whatever you have uh, clients willing and, and enthusiastic to, to pursue has it always been that way or did you start guiding through the ice? You start guiding through open water. How did that develop? It all started in open water and uh, in 
complete disclosure, originally I was just going to guide muskies. That's all I wanted to do. But when I started thinking that this is going to be an actual job, a career, um, I decided, you know, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to be a guy that chases anything that swims. And unfortunately, that's made me have to get about 10 times more tackle and rods than most guys have. But I, I enjoy it. I like the fact that I might do walleyes one day, then I might do crappies the next, might do northerns after that, and then have to go switch and do panfish the next day or something, you know? that That's fun to me. That it keeps everything interesting, and uh, there's always a big puzzle. Nothing's ever the same, so... So it's a blast. Well, and you have not forgotten about that musky passion because uh, there just happened to be an episode of Prairie Sportsman that aired here this last week um, that really highlighted your musky prowess. And and that was a very fun one to watch. Great job on that episode, Randon. Oh, thank you. That was a really fun show to do. It was, you know, it was the first time I had met Brett. Um but after about 20 minutes in the boat, it's like we'd known each other for a long time and we're just kind of BSing and having fun. And, and luckily enough, we got to boat a few muskies during the day too. And you talked a little bit about having 10 times the gear, but it probably costs about the same as if it was all musky gear, right? <laughs> probably less actually. <laughs> <laughs> probably less. But yeah. As you, as you look across the different seasons, is there a season, I mean, that you find, I know you talked a lot about your musky passion, but, you know, as anglers, do you find yourself being more busy in the summer, in the winter? Is it kind of pretty steady through the seasons? Uh, so last year was my first full year as a full-time guide. I mean, that was all I did. Um, so just going out, you know, I don't have a lot of time is just the full time to go off of but i would say the fall is probably one of the busiest times kind of from august till halfway through october um, that seems to be a lot when, when people want to get out and kind of experience what's going on i don't know if they're trying to fit it in before the winter comes or what but but that's kind of seems to be the real busy time of year maybe trying to get that last trip in before school starts or that last little bit before the summer's over um, taking advantage of that, I'm sure. As you were kind of talking a little bit about it too, um, you know, with the, you know, getting into the season full time and all of that, have you seen, I know we talked a lot about it in our different uh, social distancing segments, the the growth of anglers that are into the sport. Have you found yourself having to maybe turn away some people this year? Have you seen a big influx in potential customers, clients coming out and coming to you for, for going out on guide trips? Definitely. Um, there's a huge influx of people fishing and it's great. It really is. Um, and, and I run the rentals in the winter plus guided trips and my phone, I thought I was going to burn through my phone in the first week I got the new one because it just kept ringing and no complaints. It's great. It's, it's awesome to see people getting outdoors. Um, but it's been extremely busy this year. Um, and I, I will say the one thing I'm a little disappointed in this, this winter, just from being out here a lot, is I'm not seeing guys striking out by themselves. You, you see a lot of bent pole fishermen, so to speak, where they, they kind of just look for a house and they go over there and sit there. Um, and maybe there's experience in there. Maybe, I don't know what the, the, the circumstances are, but but I, I got a saying, don't be afraid to, to strike out to find gold. I like that saying, just be, get people to open their minds up and try different stuff. That's great advice, Randon. And I, I've got to believe some of that is, as you said, a lack of experience 
folks who are new to this sport and maybe not having the confidence to be able to strike out on their own. But that's great advice because, you know, that's how you find those new bites. That's how you find that new adventure is to go give it a try. And if you don't try, you'll you'll not ever know. Right. A prime example of uh, kind of striking out is, is last summer we had a walleye pattern that went for about three weeks where we were short line trolling uh, Rapalas at high speed. So we were running Rapalas at, at about three miles an hour, three to three and a half miles an hour, and we were running them about 10 to 15 feet behind the rod tip. That's it. They're, they're running in the prop wash, and we hammered walleyes for a couple weeks, and nobody in their right mind would, would pull cranks for walleyes 10 feet behind the boat. Yeah, exactly. How did that come to be? No, we actually, uh, we, we were just about done. So I just tossed out about 10, 15 feet of line, and, you know, we had to go about 40 yards, and we were going to go back to the access, and I ended up catching one. So that afternoon trip, I set a rod 10 feet back, and after the fourth fish, we pulled all the other lines up close. So, Randon... Yeah. You know, you mentioned that they're 10 feet behind the boat, 15 feet behind the boat in shallow water, right? Yep. That shallow water thing has been kind of a a new area for me. I I set it as one of my goals last year in 2020 to fish shallow. And, I mean, it's pretty amazing because there's a lot of fish up in a lot shallower water than you would imagine. You and I got to spend a day on the water in June, and, I mean, we caught fish anywhere from 5 feet down to 35 feet of water. And, and that was a real learning experience. What's your kind of, what does your experience tell you in terms of once that lake is covered in ice, are those fish still up shallow? Yeah, I think those fish are still up shallow. Um, I think they stay there a lot of the year. Uh, if you talk to anybody that's speared for any amount of time, usually they'll tell you they see a bunch of fish up there, like walleyes and bass and northerns and perch and bluegills. And, and uh, those fish are up there to eat. Um, I think as long as the food's there, they're going to stay there for a long time. It's just a matter of, of anglers figuring out how to get them. And it's interesting that you mention that and talk about it. I know I just watched a, a recent target walleye video that uh, Brett put out and they were fishing for burbot. And you think of burbot, you think deep water coming up shallow at night. And they were fishing on the edge of a weed line and the fish were coming out on the live scope out of the weeds to their baits. And so he's figuring that they were no different. They were up there to feed, chasing those young of the year perch and different prey fish up there. What, I mean, do you think that does just an opportunity that people are missing out on? I think so. I, I think there's a ton of fish up there. And uh, the old advantage is, you know, you get a storm that comes in or you get a lot of pressure and it pushes the fish deep. But after the last couple of years of spending a lot of time shallow, I'm I'm starting to think that all that stuff, a lot of it pushes those fish even shallower. And then I think there's just, it, it takes somebody to, with the cojones kind of to go up there and be willing to fail until you find that program that works good. Just like yeah, you said. Yeah, that's really interesting. Just, just like you said, um, you gotta, you gotta risk striking out to be able to find gold. And, you know, oftentimes, like you said, the inclination is to look deeper, but I think, I think looking shallower isn't a bad option as well. Yeah. And you can cover so much water so quickly, you know, where when you fish deep, you, unless you're pulling cranks, you know, then you're covering some water out deep. But if you're fishing normal methods out deep, you're not covering very much water yeah. where we're shallow. Those fish, they'll see your bait from 20, 30 feet away. So you're, you're covering a 30 foot swath every time you, 
make a cast or, or make a pass or anything. When you're fishing shallow through the ice, what is, what is your initial strategy? Fast, furious, looking for active fish, or are you going to go up shallow and be stealthy and try and, uh, try and sneak up on them? Stealthy for sure. Um, I like to, to like, say you're going to go out for an all day thing up shallow. I would get up there before that sun comes up and drill all the holes you think you might need. Cause those fish up shallow are pretty spooky. Even just walking around, even with two feet of ice, you can still spook those fish pretty good. We see it with bluegills. If you stomp in the fish house, those bluegill schools will, will scoot away and that's in 10, 12 feet of water. So, um, yeah, definitely stealthy, have everything kind of ready and kind of know what you're going to do. And, and once you're up there, then you can work some real aggressive baits through the holes and try to bring those fish to you. It's a great tip. Um, you know, as you progress, and I know we talked a little bit about it through the ice season, those fish are shallow or deep and you're chasing them. As we get into the late ice season now, do you change your tactics at all? Are you chasing some of those fish, targeting them up shallower or what is your strategy there? Yeah, the later we go into the season, the shallower even I'll go as far up into a, about eight to 10 inches of water. Um, a lot of times what, what I see to happen, and I think it's because of the melt off and the running, running water, fresh water comes in through the edges around shorelines. And that's kind of reoxygenating, getting the bugs going again around shore, getting the weed life going again. Um, and a lot of those fish, we've, we've caught crappies in pencil reeds where you couldn't use a flasher because there was 12 inches of water under the ice. You just dropped it down and waited till one bit. I've yeah. seen that. I've seen that before, and I've watched guys. I mean, basically, it looks like they're fishing in a fishbowl. I mean, they can see the fish come in and bite, and you just set the hook. You don't even need a flasher. Yep. Wow. That sounds like a whole lot of fun, quite honestly. That sounds like a blast. Randon, as a guide, what you've been doing the guide business for, uh, for a year and a half now, full-time, six years um, since you first started kind of working your business. What's been the biggest challenge? staying on fish you know I, I got that mindset that i can't beat up my fish too bad you know i don't want to you know i'm out there every day so six fish every day or 12 fish every day you're taking a lot of fish out of the system so i'm always mindful of that and i think that's where my mindset goes into trying to always have you know seven or eight spots so i can pull two off of here two off of there four off of here whatever um but the challenge is always trying to bend find those new patterns before anybody else gets there. Um, and, and I really enjoy that part of it. it it's, a, it's frustrating at times, but it's, it's worth every second that I failed once I finally make it happen. That's a great perspective. Brandon, before we wrap up, I want to just throw a few, um, a few more questions at you. And uh, of course we don't want to take away any, you know, any trade secrets here as a fishing guide? I know you've got to be uh, protective of some of that stuff, but you're a pretty you're a pretty honest guy. So let's uh, let's just see. So favorite lake to ice fish through the ice? Uh, that I don't know if I have one. I'm completely honest. I, I really don't. Okay. Um, yeah, I I can't think of just one lake. So if you were to draw a, a circle, you know, a hundred miles from your home where you're not giving up your little, uh, your honey holes, where would, where would it be then? 
<laughs> Where's your favorite destination lake to fish? Uh, probably Man Trap. Man Trap Park Lake. Rapid. Yeah, it's it's a it's a gorgeous lake. There's there's not many houses and stuff on it, and there's all these nooks and crannies and bays, and uh, it's just a really neat lake to just even drive around on, let alone fish. Yeah, it's a beautiful body of water. It's a big 3M conference center up there, if I'm not mistaken. And they they own a big chunk of that property, and it's not developed, and it's just it's it is beautiful. So I can relate to that one. That's for sure. Um, yeah. Favorite species to chase through the ice? Got to be crappies. Big crappies. I, I just there's something about seeing a 14, 15 inch fish come up through a little eight inch hole with a two inch long rattle bait in its mouth that gets my goose every time. Well, Anthony and I have both been crappie fishing with you. And I think we can both attest to the fact that, uh, you, you get to, you get to see that site quite often. In fact, a lot more often than me for sure. I know that, but, uh, <laughs> it's definitely fun to watch. Cause you, uh, you definitely know how to handle that rod and reel and, and make those fish want to bite. Um, yeah. What's been your one favorite memory this last year, uh, given the fact we've had COVID, but what's been your favorite fishing, ice fishing related memory? Uh, boy, you should have prepped me on these so I could have had time to think about them. <laughs> There's a lot, there really is, but uh, I had a group come up this winter that had never ice fished before. They lived in Minnesota their whole life. Um, and they've never, they've actually never fished. They've never had a fishing rod in their hand. Um, and they did my guided special thing where they stay in the house for a couple nights and then I take them out on a trip. And it, that was probably one of the funnest times I had just watching their face. You know, we only fished bluegills, but, but seeing the excitement on their face when they were able to catch those fish and they're doing it by themselves and, and, uh, just having so much fun. It was, it was, that was really, really enjoyable for me. That has to be a rewarding part of being a guide. I have to believe just the fun of it and, and the ability to see people kind of enjoy themselves and, and learn something new. And full disclosure for our listener listeners, as we are recording this, uh, my wife, Rachel, and three of her friends are on their way to one of your wheelhouses. They're going to spend the weekend um, fishing in one of the Lockjaw Guide Service uh, ice castles. And so that's going to be, uh, hopefully a good experience for you. I know it's going to be a good experience for them because, uh, one of them has ice fished before and the other two have not. And of course, Rachel's been out many times with me, but, uh, thank you for, for taking good care of them in advance because I know they're, they're very, very excited about that experience. Anytime. That's, uh, that's what this is all about is if you can't have fun while you're sitting in the fish house on the lake, catching fish, and maybe try golf or something, but there's just, it, it's hard not to have fun out here in these places. It's, we have so much around here to offer as far as fishing goes that um, it's, it's almost harder on me than it is the people when they come here, because I'm, I'm trying to figure out which one of the 1100 or 1100 lakes we, we have to put the houses on. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
Brandon, as before we wrap up, one more thing too. I know we touched a little bit on the hard houses and your guiding. What kind of services do you offer? I mean, do you offer everything to the person that has nothing, to the guys that want to go out with all of their gear and you're just kind of there to show them around? I know we talked a little bit about the staying in one of your ice castles. What are, maybe just walk us through all the services that you have and you know how somebody that wanted to reach out to you and, and line something up, how they could do that. Yeah, so we've got four ice castles um, that we rent out, and those are already set up on the lake. Um, you essentially just grab some bait and whatever fishing gear you have and, and show up. Um, the holes are drilled and the heat's on and ready to rock. Um, I do have a bunch of gear. I'm kind of a, a fishing equipment connoisseur, so to speak. Um, so if you don't oh, yeah. have any, yeah, right? We all have that problem. So and we all, and we all have a friend that we ship our fishing stuff to that we order online, right? Yeah. <laughs> but um, so anyway, yeah, all the gear's there if you need it. Um, I can get you some gear. Um, I also do fully guided trips throughout the winter where you just show up. Um, I've got the house and the bait and rods and tackle and all that stuff, and we'll go out and explore the lakes together. Um, and then all summer I do trips throughout summer with in the boat so up to three people in the boat um we can chase any species that swims and and uh just try to give you as much knowledge or if you don't want to learn anything about fishing you just want to catch fish we can do that too so easiest way to get a hold of me is just to give me a call at 218-640-0158 awesome i appreciate that i think our listeners do as well and I know, like you mentioned, you can get out on the ice with these people and chase anything that they want. I mean, I know you're open to it. You're fishing everything from tulipies and verbit in the winter to all the panfish and walleyes and pike and, you know, then getting after those muskies and everything else in the open water. So having been out there with you, I, I don't I don't have any reservation sending someone your way. And I know they'll have a good time, uh, whether you're stacking them up in the in the cooler the live well or or not it's, it'll be a fun day out on the ice just learning and getting out and and having fun so randon thank you very much for spending some time with us talking to us um, for our listeners if you have any questions again reach out to randon reach out to kyler myself we can always point you in his direction as well uh, we really appreciate you listening uh, it's been another fun episode of uh, shack talk and until next time be safe distance socially and get out ice fishing